Now, could we turn together in the Word of God to the book of Acts, the chapter 20? Acts chapter 20. I want to add my own words of welcome to those of Eddie Gibbons. Good to see you all gathered here on this Lord's Day morning, and we welcome everyone and all visitors. We welcome those online. We trust God will be with us as we meet around His Word now for a season and consider the message that He has given uh, for this occasion in relation to the process that we're going through in terms of adding to the Kirk session. Uh, so before we look at this chapter and uh, come to the message, let's just bow in prayer and let's have a word of prayer at this point. We need the Lord's help and let us seek Him to that end. Our Heavenly Father and our Eternal God, we continue in Thy presence and we come before Thy throne in the Savior's name, come confessing our unworthiness, our sin, and yet we come resting on that foundation of Christ and His righteousness. We thank Thee for the one mediator of the new covenant, and we bless Thee for the way of approach that we have in His name and by His merit into the courts above. We pray, O Lord, that Thou wilt be with us and bless us now as we come to the Word. Speak unto us, give guidance to Thy children through the message that Thou hast given from this passage, and we ask, O Lord, that in everything Christ will be exalted, and that His church will be blessed and will prosper as the Word is applied, and a work is done, and God's men are raised up to be added to the Kirk session in this congregation. So, Lord, give power and help. Cleanse my heart in Jesus' blood. Fill me with Thy Spirit, and breathe on us now, one and all, and bless us, we ask in the Savior's name, and for His eternal glory. Amen and amen. Acts 20, I want just to read a few verses with you from verse number 28 of the chapter, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and the verse says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And God will bless the reading of this is word to all of our hearts. When he was on his third and final missionary journey, the Apostle Paul took some time to meet with the elders of the Ephesian church, and to them he gave a very unique and solemn charge. In the narrative of that meeting, they are addressed as both elders and overseers. One office is in view, and the men, therefore, who occupied that office are described in that way as elders and also as overseers. Those two terms have to do with the different roles that they conducted or fulfilled in their ministry. On one hand, they were elders, signifying the solemnity and the gravity 
of their office. On the other hand, they were overseers in that they were appointed to watch over the flock of God and take care of the flock of God. Now, based on those simple facts, it is very, very clear that in the New Testament church, there is a system of church government that has been put in place by our Savior, by Christ Himself, the head of the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, Paul writes this, God hath set some in the church. And then he goes on to enumerate what the Lord had set in the church in terms of roles and gifts and positions uh, to be occupied. One of the categories that he mentions is governments. And the word has reference to men with ability and with authority to rule, referring obviously to ruling elders. You see, there only is one office in the New Testament church given the authority to rule spiritually within the congregation, namely the office of the ruling elder along with the teaching elder or elders of the congregation. And so those words can only be with reference to ruling elders. The same kind of language is found in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, sorry, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, where Paul gives the instruction that the elders that rule well are to be counted worthy of double honor. And so he speaks there also of ruling elders. So the point is very, very clear. The church of Jesus Christ has had instituted within it a system of government for the spiritual governance and the well-being of the people of God. Now, throughout the Old and the New Testaments, the spiritual government of the church is a major subject, a major theme that you find coming out again and again. And so it is the mind of God, it is the mind of Christ, that the system of government that the Lord has ordained for His church should be implemented and therefore put into practice within the visible congregation. In other words, the government of the church is not optional. Rather, it is the Lord's requirement. It is His will. It is what He has ordained for His church and for, as I say again, the well-being of His church. And that must be recognized by the Lord's people. You must, as God's people, take it to your heart today that we're not dealing with something that is an option, something that is merely mentioned in some glib manner uh, to be looked at and then passed on and given no attention. It must be regarded with all seriousness by the people of God, not treated lightly, not minimized in terms of its vital importance. So the doctrine because it is a doctrine, the doctrine of church government, the offices, that's the elder and the deacon, that Christ has set in place, and the appointment of suitable men to those positions, all of that detail is given great attention and prominence in a lot of Scripture. Therefore, believers are not to view the subject, I say again, with levity, or with disinterest, and most certainly not with 
carelessness or contempt. It is to be viewed in the light of Scripture in an opposite manner, with all attention, with all seriousness, with a desire to find God's men to occupy the office as we are uh, seeking to see carried out in these days leading up to uh, that date, the 28th of March in the will of the Lord. Now, the seriousness of that matter, the whole matter is underlined uh, by the reference in this passage to the Holy Spirit, especially verse number 28, and His making men overseers. I want you to see that. I stress that. It says, take heed, verse 28, therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock of, or the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. At once we are shown by this verse that the government of the church is a spiritual matter. And in that genuine and actual occupation of the office or the eldership, it is all brought about through the work of the Holy Spirit. This text underlines, therefore, a most striking and a very important truth that the government of the church of Jesus Christ by chosen men is the product of the ministry of the Holy Ghost, just as much as He acts for the church in all other matters. The Spirit of God's ministry is on a wide scale. He works in various ways with regard to the well-being and the profit and the benefit of the church, but here is one of them that must be regarded with great seriousness. It is the Holy Ghost who makes men overseers. Here is a truth, here is a line of thought that is of great encouragement to us as a congregation as we pursue the addition of brethren to the office of the ruling elder. We are to look for the guidance, the clear guidance through the Word, of course, but also in the prompting that He exercises within our hearts of the Spirit of God to give us the men of the Lord's choice. And so that is my subject today from this text and surrounding Scriptures. That is the work of the Spirit of God in making men overseers or elders within the church of Jesus Christ. There are two points I want to make from this verse, and I trust by the help of the Lord that we'll be able to get through the detail that is here because it is of vital importance. Number one, we have the necessity of the Spirit's ministry in making men overseers. Now, the necessity of having the Holy Spirit making men overseers is underlined by the nature of the church itself, the body of people whom the Lord purposes to be governed by His overseers. The body of people, that body is variously described in this verse, is referred to as the flock, is referred to as the church of God, is referred to as the church that He has purchased with His own blood. Now that description of the company to be governed makes it very, very clear why we must have the ministry, 
why it's necessary that we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the matter of guidance and direction and actually choosing men to be brought into this office. The essence or the nature of the church underlines why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is essential, indeed utterly indispensable in this whole process of seeking to find God's men. I want you to notice some little details about the church herself from these words in this verse. The church is a particular company, notice. The title given here at this stage, I want you to notice, is the church of God. The church of God. At least ten times in his writings, the Apostle Paul uses that particular phrase, the church of God, and other apostles use it as well. And that identifies the church as a particular company. It is called the church of God. The word church simply means uh, the called out ones. I say simply because it's not difficult when we come to try to understand the meaning of the word church. It signifies the called out ones. That's the sense of the original word. Souls effectually called out of fallen humanity and united with our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's called the church of God, signifying that God is the moving cause of the life and the existence of the church. I'm talking about the people of God. He is the moving cause of their life and their existence. The church owes her entire spiritual life to the living God, as is described in the book. And that spiritual life that the church has by God calling her out of the world, calling sinners out of the world, is a life that is brought about by the work of the Spirit. You think of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, where you have this tremendous statement. It's a reference to the entire body of people saved by grace, no matter where they are or what title they have in terms of churches or denominations. And what does that verse say? By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. And the baptism there is not water baptism. It is the baptism that is spiritual, brought about and exercised and completed by the Holy Ghost, by one Spirit. Are we all baptized into one body? And so having been called out by the Spirit and having been given life by the Spirit, it's the Lord's will that the Spirit's ministry toward that people will continue, and that includes her government. This spiritual government that we all need is the Holy Ghost who brings that to pass. Notice this. God will not call sinners out of the world and then abandon them. That's very clear. He wants men. He purposes to have men who will be the spiritual rulers and leaders and, and instructors of the flock of God to watch over them and to guide them and to lead them in their spiritual experience because the Lord will never abandon those whom He calls out of the world. He sees to their spiritual needs and their spiritual requirements, including their government, by means 
of the elders whom he goes. And let me therefore underline to every Christian here today, church government is for your good. It is for your benefit. It is for your well-being. Never forget that. It's appointed by the Lord. The office is His in the sense of it being instituted. The men who occupy it, they are brought into that place by the Holy Ghost. It's because the Lord has your good at His heart, in His mind, and therefore do not forget that today, and therefore treat the whole matter with that attitude where you realize this is for my benefit, that God will add to our session and give us other godly men to stand alongside the the rest of the men who are already, the other men who are already in that office. And therefore, place yourself under such men by being a member of the church of Jesus Christ. The two go together. I mean, in that sense of becoming a communicant member, I leave that before you just to think about and pray about. The Bible teaches that. I haven't time to go into that today, that Christians should be members of the visible church of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, submit to the rule of the the session of the church. And of course, it's a rule that's not harsh or a rule that is not uh, bringing to you uh, bondage or fear, whatever, is designed for your blessing. Remember what Paul says to the Hebrews in Hebrews 13, remember them, not of the rule over you, obey them, not of the rule over you, and submit yourselves. And it also says, salute them. That have the rule over you. My friend, those are the commands of Christ to His people regarding this matter of those whom He sets in place. The church is a particular company. It's the church of God. It's called out of the world. The Lord has designed that it will have elders to rule and to govern. And therefore, in the light of all that, you must recognize the seriousness of this whole matter. The church is also a privileged company. Take that other title that's in this verse, the title, the flock, the flock of God, but just take the two words, the flock. And Paul's use of that term, of course, is drawn from much biblical example. It's a favorite term, favorite figure of Old Testament prophets. You'll find the flock of God mentioned repeatedly in the Old Testament. The very term is then carried over into the New Testament. Jesus Christ Himself teaches it. He uses it as a favorite figure of His as well as He addresses His people. Take John 10, 1 to 16, where He represents Himself as the shepherd and His people as the sheep. What's that? That's the shepherd and His flock. Peter describes this matter in this way in his writings in 1 Peter 2, 25, that Christ is the shepherd and the bishop of the souls of his people. And then we find that the Lord himself is the one who's described as the good shepherd, the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. And therefore, there's so much emphasis on the Bible, in the Bible, on this particular line of truth, the flock the people of God as the sheep of God. And over them there's a shepherd, but also over them there are under-shepherds who serve under Christ and who are put into office by Jesus Christ. You take the words of 1 Peter 
5, verse number 2, where Peter's addressing elders. He says in the first verse of that chapter, 1 Peter 5, the elders which are among you who uh, I exhort who am also an elder, and it literally means who am also a fellow elder. Then he says, feed the flock of God. And the word feed means shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God. And so we find it's clearly brought out in the word that the Lord's people, the church, is a privileged company because they are described as the flock of God and therefore the flock of God is to be fed, is to be led, is to be helped, is to be governed for, again I say, her well-being. There is a privileged company of people, a flock shepherded. How vital, therefore, that we have the leading of God to find God's men to enter into this office to carry out that great work of being under shepherds of the flock of God. The church is a particular company. The church is a privileged company. But going back to Acts 20, notice from this verse another little detail about this uh, necessity of the Spirit's ministry in making men overseers. The church is a purchase company. That, to me, is what really stands out in verse 28. It speaks of the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. Now, this is one of the most striking statements in the New Testament regarding the nature of the true church, the genuine people of God. God's people are a purchase company. The words actually used here. The church of God which He hath purchased by His own blood. Now the word purchase literally means to get or to gain for oneself. And here we have, uh, this of course is Christ who's in view here. He is referred to as God in this verse is one of the great verses that proves the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ simply because it speaks of the church of God that He has purchased with His own blood. And so you have there the Lord's deity, He's God, but you have His humanity, He shed His blood because He took our humanity and thereby was qualified to be a man and shed His blood and death and thereby purchase His people to be His own people. But notice how it is put. The church of God which He hath purchased, which He has obtained for Himself by His own blood. And to me, while the rest of what I've been saying to you is vital, that the church is a particular company, they are called out, they're God's people, that while they are a privileged company, they're the flock of God, who are given care and oversight for their well-being. Above everything else, they are a purchased company. Some time ago when we were in the session, when we were praying, the Kirk session, when we were praying about these matters, and we have been now for quite some time about moving toward adding to the session, I was led by the Lord when I was in the chair that night to, to bring this verse before the elders in that in that room on that occasion. And something had struck me that week that I never really thought about before. Now what is taught in this verse about elders and their role and their appointment to their office being made overseers by the Holy Ghost? 
is all presented within the framework of redemption. And that really struck me. Because of this reference to the church that has been purchased with His own blood. And in that, my friend, that's what I am bringing to your attention. There's a price stipulated here in this purchase company being spoken of in this way, the church of God bought by purchase with the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a price stipulated, and the price is nothing less than the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in that, see the unique value that the Lord places upon His church, child of God, sitting in this gathering today. You, you would do well to see this. The Lord places a value on you. And it's signified by the fact that you are bought with the blood of the God-man. He values you. You are therefore not only... You not only see that with regard to the price that is paid but with regard to the preciousness that is stipulated here. The church is a purchase company bought by the blood of the God-man, therefore most precious to the Lord. And you see, it is this company that elders are to oversee, a company purchased at such great price. Therefore, nothing less than the Holy Spirit's ministry is required to find the men qualify the man and reveal the man who will occupy the office because they are going to be set over a company of people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the framework of redemption. Let me underline that to your mind this morning. Everything that the Lord does for sinners to save them, to keep them, and even to give them elders must be understood within the framework of redemption, our whole spiritual experience is to be regarded and understood in that context of the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you approach the whole issue of electing elders, making your choice in a few weeks' time, you need to understand that nothing less than the Spirit's ministry is required to elect those men who will oversee the blood-bought people of God. Your brethren and sisters sitting around you today, all of us need to see this. We are a blood-bought people. Christ church is a blood-bought church. Therefore, she is precious to Christ. And it's that company, that particular privileged and purchased company that the Lord desires men to govern and to oversee and to be their spiritual rulers. You know, it really struck me when I thought about this, that the Holy Spirit will lead God's people to regenerate blood-bought men themselves only to serve in the church of Jesus Christ, do you understand what I have just said? I trust you do. Because in many a church across our land, men are put into the office of the elder who have no testimony of being men washed in the blood of Christ, bought by the blood of Christ. They're put into the eldership because of maybe their wealth 
or their prestige in society or something else of a mere carnal humankind, but there's no thought given in churches across our land that what we need are men who are blood-bought men because they are going to rule over blood-bought people. Of course, so many churches today despise the blood of Christ. They give it no thought, no attention. They repudiate even what I have been saying here. They would treat it with contempt, what I have been saying. But that does not minimize, that does not remove the fact that the Bible describes the church right here before our very eyes as a blood-bought company. And therefore, the Holy Ghost will never lead a congregation to elect men who themselves know nothing of the application of redemption in their lives. Unconverted, unregenerate, unsaved men who themselves would treat the very doctrine of the blood and the atonement with contempt and with repudiation. My dear friend, see today that this is a purchase company and because of the price paid, how precious it is in the sight of God. Now since that is true, uh, I want you to notice how it's underlined by what Paul proceeds to say about the role of these men, just keeping within this point of a purchase company. And notice how verse 29 reads. For he says, he says this, For I know this. And the word for connects us back into verse 28. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock, it says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. And notice what's going on here. The Lord moves Paul to underline his point that the church is a particular and privileged and purchased company, and for that reason, these elders are to be very, very careful. They are to exercise their ministry in a manner that will guard that flock and will preserve that flock. And therefore, you find that Paul points into the future here. Notice what he says in verse 29. I know this, that after my departing, Paul is moving on. He's going to leave Ephesus. He had been there for three years, as we read in verse number, I forget where it is, it's down a little farther here. Verse 31, he talks about the three years he had spent in Ephesus. He was essentially the pastor of that flock. But whatever the time a man may be in a flock, or an elder might be in a place of oversight, the time comes when he moves on. Now that can happen in various ways. And as you look at the wall on my right, over years gone by, a number of men have moved on to glory. And indeed, the passing of two recent elders, John Smith and William Wilson, caused us to think very deeply about the need to replace them, add to the session. And all of those men named in that wall and those plaques were men who loved God, who served Christ faithfully in this congregation. And Paul here is writing of the need for the Spirit's ministry, the Spirit's leading because of the nature of the church. As I emphasize to you, this particular privileged 
and purchased company, God's people. And he says to the people here, that they're, the elders here, your role, he said to them, concerns the flock's future. I will not be here, he's saying, very much longer. And none of us know when that might happen. And no elder here today, and neither me or Mr. Stewart as ministers know when the end might come in one way or the other. Therefore, the future is something that has to be considered very, very carefully to guide this congregation on into the future. Whatever the means or for whatever reason the Lord takes men away, could be different reasons. It's the flock's future that really counts. Whenever you read Moses' statements in Numbers 27, the Lord told Moses, you're going to die. You're not going into the land of promise. And of course, there's a whole context to that and a reason for that. But listen to me, my friends. What was Moses' immediate reaction? He prayed that the Lord would set a man over the flock, that they would not be sheep without a shepherd. He was not concerned for himself or about his position his only concern was that the flock would be guarded and provided for through a man. Of course, that man was Joshua to take over to lead the work of God, the nation of Israel in those days. The future must always be in our minds and it comes out here as we look at this company over whom men are set as overseers and put into that role by the Holy Ghost. The future is vitally important. Not only the future, there's also here the foe. Look at it. It says in verse 30 again, or verse 29, After my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to lead or to draw away disciples after them. And so there is the future there, but there's also the foe. And this is why Paul is emphasizing the Holy Ghost has made you overseers and here is your role in a very definite way. Take the future into consideration. I'll not be here much longer, he's saying, but also think about the foe, the enemy, those enemies from without, grievous wolves entering in. The devil's always trying to get into the church of God to cause havoc, to cause division, to cause whatever, to destroy. As the Lord says in John 10, the thief cometh not, and that's the devil ultimately. He comes not but for to steal and to destroy. And therefore men of God are needed who will be a, a bulwark against the activity of the foe from without, but there's also the foe from within because he says in verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after. And you know, there's nothing more sad or tragic than when the enemy comes from within. There's one thing when he comes from without. We expect that. But he also comes from within. And that is not something that is now redundant. That never happens anymore. It does happen. And these elders are warned about it. 
because they're going to come into the flock of God. They're going to cause havoc, those from without. And right from within, there will be men, Paul says, who will rise up to get their own little clique going to lead people astray to uh, form disciples in their category of having disciples, etc. It's all here. Isn't the Word of God very much up to date? Isn't this why we need the Holy Spirit to give us God's men, the right men, spiritual men, men equipped men who see their role over that particular privileged purchased flock and do all that they can to see to its well-being? Yes, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. But then the second main point, and I have to fly here because my time is really away with it. Not only is there the necessity of the Spirit's work in making men overseer, there is the nature of the Spirit's work in making men overseers. Notice the words in this text, the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And that verb hath made is also used, and I referred to it earlier, it's used, for example, it's also used in other places, and I refer to it, for example, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, where it's translated to set. And so that's the idea here. The Holy Spirit, as the agent of Jesus Christ, not only creates the offices within the church, He also puts the incumbents, the occupiers, into the office. And that's a detail of great encouragement. It says here, the Holy Ghost hath set you as overseers in this office. And so note that, brethren and sisters. The Lord will not leave His church without fit men, able men for the office. By His Spirit, He will actually set officers or overseers into this office by calling them to it. I want to deal with that. I mean, this is one of the most vital things. And, well, I was saying to the session recently, I've preached on this now over the years in my ministry here a number of times, a plurality of times. And I said to the session, you know, there are only so many passages that a man can preach on this subject, but they're vital passages. And there's always something new, and I've seen things in this passage here I had never seen before, and that's the leading of the Lord. But Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. And I want you to see this. And I know that Mr. Short and I will be going on next Sunday and the following Sunday preaching on these things. And so I'm sure we'll be, we'll be covering other material that needs to be covered if I can't get it covered now. And so we're seeing here that the Holy Spirit, here's the nature of His work. He sets men into the office fit, able men. He calls them, in other words. And that, to me, is the nature of 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. By the way, the word bishop is a translation of the very same Greek word as overseer, so it is a reference to the elder. It could be a, a teaching elder, the pastor, or uh, certainly it refers to the ruling elder. But we're leaving those details aside here. It says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, and the thought there is that the desire that is mentioned is obviously something that's in a man's heart. A desire is an inward impulse, feeling, or whatever you care to call it. It's not something that's sitting on his head. It's in his heart. And so that's what Paul is saying. If a man 
has been called to the eldership. That's what this verse is all about. If he feels the desire rising up in his soul, it's an inward experience to the office of the bishop or the overseer, then there is the effecting of a call to that man's soul. Now, the point is very obvious. This man, as it says here, a man desires the office of a bishop. He desireth a good work. And the word desire is not only an inward thing, but the literal meaning of that word desire is to stretch toward. But he's not stretching toward the office when it's genuine, when it's of the Holy Ghost, because he wants to promote himself. Now, sadly, that does happen in churches. And we're not exempt from that happening. And I'm not, I'm speaking here of what this verse means. I'm not getting at anybody. But I am simply saying, I'm warning from this pulpit that there are men who in the church of God can covet a role that they're not called to by the Spirit of the living God. And this very verse is underlining that what we must have is the Holy Spirit. This is the nature of His work. He actually calls men by giving them the desire inwardly. You see, the Holy Spirit would never move Paul to write or to encourage a carnal approach where a man just wants office for the sake of it, or he thinks somehow or other that he's the only one available. The Spirit of God would never move Paul to write and encourage a carnal approach, the very opposite. He's writing here about the compulsion that the Spirit brings. We saw, you bring the Scriptures together. It says in Acts 20, 28, the Holy Ghost has set you as overseers. He's the one who exercises the call. He's the one who moves the soul. You know, while there's a distinction between the ruling elder and the uh, teaching elder, the minister, the pastor, yet it's the very same office. Now, a man who's in the pulpit preaching should only be there because God has called him to it. It's the impulse of his soul. It's something that he couldn't get away from. And every genuine minister can testify to that. The genuine minister of the gospel, from a human perspective, would rather be doing anything else than be in the pastorate. You know why? Because he knows that he is not fit for it in and of himself. And so he would run the other way. And the true, genuine, ruling elder will feel the very same. I'm not fit for this. I'm not equipped for this. Paul, we heard about it last week. And Mr. Stewart's message, all the excuses. But you see, we're seeing here that God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who produces the desire. That's the call. That's the impulse that will be in the heart. And let me say this to you. Brethren in the congregation need to search their hearts honestly and ask themselves, is the Spirit calling me to this office? Is he? And if he's not, 
then don't become guilty of placing yourself before God's people. And a final list, unless you're absolutely sure that the Lord is calling you to this role. There is, therefore, the effecting of the call by the Holy Spirit. There's the evidence of this call. And you know what the evidence is? When the Holy Spirit is calling a man, molding a man, shaping a man, putting the desire in his heart, and he can't escape it, he has to pray over it, he must face it, he must deal with it. When that is true, the Lord's people will verify what has been happening in his heart because they will recognize it. If he's molded for this office, if he has got the qualities, we'll be looking at those qualities in due course over the next week or two. The qualities will be there and so on and they will, they will emerge. And of course, there's no such thing as a perfect elder any more than there's such a thing as a perfect minister. I must really say that. But there will be qualities and there will be evidences, therefore. There will be traits of character that are vital. There will be a spirit about a man that is the evidence of humility, of teachability, of willingness to work with his brethren and to labor together in the cause of Jesus Christ. All of that will be present. And I'm simply giving you a kind of a general overview of these things. And so that means that the Lord's people must treat this issue as the man himself must with the greatest solemnity, praying much for the leading of the Spirit of God, employing discernment in the light of the tests that are laid down on the page of Scripture. And therefore, you do not vote for a man because he is your friend when he doesn't have the qualities, when he doesn't have the maturity, when he doesn't have the development spiritually speaking, that he needs to have. But he is your friend, and that's grand, that's fine. Any of us could have friends throughout a congregation, other brethren taking this matter, but they're not material for the eldership. And we need to see that. We need to understand that. You see, it says here he desires a good work in 1 Timothy 3.1. And the word good means excellent or noble. This is underlining that the eldership is one as an office of the noblest or the most sacred kind. And therefore, it really sets out the stall, so to speak, for what Paul goes on to say in the verses that follow, where he says, a bishop then must. And he starts to mention various things down through these verses. In verse 1, as I say, he's setting up the stall, the stage, and he says, he's saying there that when the Spirit is making men overseers, when he's about to set them into the office, this is what will happen. That man will be dealt with. The desire will be there, given by the Lord. Though he shrinks from it and wants to run away from it, it's there, and if it's there, that man well, let his name go forward. 
And then the Lord's people, on the other hand, see the evidences. And thereby they are guided and they're led to the Lord's men. Prayer is what's essential. Not idle gossip. Not going around talking about this man or the other man whom you might think, and that's fine, you have to make up your own minds, but you keep it to yourself. You think about it, you pray over it. And then as the Lord leads you, you come to the house of God and you exercise your vote. And in the Lord's providence, through that prayerful consideration of the whole matter, the Holy Ghost, if it be His will at this time to do this, the Holy Ghost will set men or a man or men into that office. So there is a necessity and there is the nature of the Spirit's work in making men overseers. I pray that God will write His Word in our hearts. We will leave it there today. Pray about it, dear brother or sister, and bring it to the throne of grace continually. Uh, may the Lord give guidance and direction by His Spirit. Let us pray as we just come to the end of the meeting and let's look to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father and our eternal God, we leave all with Thee. O Lord, Thy Word must be handled honestly and directly. And we pray, Lord, that truth will be felt in all of our hearts and that the will of God will be done and the mind of God will be revealed. Guide the congregation and give them wisdom and grace and be with us all now throughout this afternoon. Gather us back this evening. Move among us, we pray. Grant blessed times and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of thy people today and forevermore. In the Savior's name we pray, amen.